0: Welcome, this is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we give people and organizations who are doing great things a platform to share what they're doing and how they're making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations at Ellenbecker Investment Group. The goal of our show is to inform, inspire, and impact our listening audience so they can understand more about a specific topic that they may know nothing about, or they can learn about some organizations that are providing resources and support to a specific population who may be all too familiar with the topic of conversation. We hope that learning about the wonderful things people are doing to make an impact in the lives of others will then inspire and impact our audience to the point of action. Now, whether that action is advocating for, volunteering, or donating to the cause, it's all so very important. Sometimes our topics of conversation are uplifting and all about good things happening in our community. And sometimes they're about adversity or challenges that we're facing in our community. But it always ends with learning about great people who are doing great things for others. So my first guest today is Dr. Debbie Lassiter, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Convergence Resource Center. Welcome to the show today, Dr. Lassiter.
2: Hi, Jill. Thank you so much. And we'd like to say thank you to the Ellen Becker Investment Group for having us and giving us this wonderful opportunity.
1: Well, you're certainly welcome. So why don't you start by first telling us who the Convergence Resource Center is and what they do and why you serve as the executive director?
2: So the Convergence Resource Center was started almost 20 years ago to provide services for women originally being released from incarceration. But as time went on, we were made very well aware of the population in prison that actually were women that were suffering from now what we call human trafficking. So we looked around for services for those women and just couldn't find a whole lot of them. So we started it. Women were saying things to us like, I'm going to end up back in prison because my boyfriend's going to beat me up and make me sell myself and no one can help me. We thought that can't, that just can't be true. The reason I serve as executive director is because, well, typically when I want something done and I can't find it, I just start it. There you go. There you go. We need a lot of women like that, right? That's, well, that's awesome. What we did yeah.
1: That's awesome. So you are trying to provide a solution to the challenge that we face. Yes. Um, now, some people may be familiar, but maybe some people don't. Um, tell us how you define human trafficking?
2: Well, human trafficking, a lot of people have a misconception about what it actually is, Um, but human trafficking uh, can involve fraud, force, or coercion. It has to involve one of those three, but typically it is when A person or persons is causing another person or persons to provide a service, whether it is the commercial sex trade or labor, um, and they are getting the benefit, the other person. Fraud you understand because I lied to you, right? Mm -hmm. We know when someone lies to us. Force you understand because I inflict physical pain, but coercion is tricky. Because coercion makes you think you wanted to do it, which makes it very difficult for law enforcement to do something about it because many times they don't self-identify and they will not report it as a crime. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, like you said, that there are misconceptions and and sometimes there are myths regarding human trafficking, right? Um, Tell us more about what those are. Give us an example.
2: Well, some myths are that prostitution and human trafficking are the same thing, and they are not. Um, In prostitution, you're getting the benefit, right? Only you, not your drug dealer, not your family, just you. In human trafficking, someone had to cause you to do it, all right? And they are doing it usually against your will. Um, Human trafficking, another myth also is that human trafficking is reported all the time, which is not true. It's not largely reported and many times incorrectly reported. Even crimes are reported as something other than human trafficking, so they're not counted in statistics for the organizations. And so many areas think that they're safe. Human trafficking exists in all 72 counties of Wisconsin. It crosses every socioeconomic background. It crosses every ethnic group. It's everywhere, whether it's the suburbs, whether it's rural or the city. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And many times we're looking right at it, and that's why it's allowed to hide in plain sight.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, What are some of the needs, then, of
2: the survivors and the services that you offer to to meet those needs? Well, we actually offer 22 trademark services that don't exist anywhere else because, like I said, if it's needed and I can't find it, I'll just start it. Uh, But one of the largest needs that they have is is for some sort of mental health. Um, After being trafficked they have mental health issues no matter how long they were trafficked, whether it was a day or years. Um, And often we find psychotherapists and counselors that don't have any training in dealing with a survivor and may often re-victimize without realizing that that's what they're doing. So we have specific programs with that that cover all pieces of that mental health. Also housing and employment. Housing is a big problem for human trafficking survivors because just because you find a nice house in this area doesn't mean you can live there. Because if something happened that triggered you in that area, you can't now go back and live there. Mm. And then also people have this mindset that they should be happy whatever I give them to live in. That's not true. Okay, And we also then believe that people are in it because they want to be. And that's not true either. When we first started working on this, people told us, oh, those are just fast girls who are out there that want to do that. It's not. And many detectives came back to me and apologized after it came to light actually what was going on. Mm -hmm. So it's not something people are doing willingly. That would make it not be human trafficking because there's no force, fraud or coercion.
1: Right. And then you offer support groups, too,
2: right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, group, uh, The group or individual support is offered. Um, our support groups were developed out of the needs of our clients. Every service that we have is client-focused, and it started because of a need from our clients. We found that many times they don't understand themselves what happened to them. So we have a 10-week psychologically walking them out of the commercial sex trade because if they don't understand what happened to them, Already, they're going to go back seven to 15 times, okay? But if they don't even understand what happened to them, they don't know that they need to get away from it. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with something like interfamilial trafficking where the family members are trafficking them, they think this is how this is supposed to go because this is the family business. The boys are taught to be traffickers. The girls are taught to be trafficked. They're not going to report that to you at school. They're not going to complain about it in in a group because they think that this is the way it's supposed to go. And us seeing those kinds of things surrounding us, one girl came to us and she said, I really don't know why everybody's upset. My whole family does this. And when you're looking at a person, now you have to explain to them that your family that you believe loves you is actually trafficking you. That's a difficult talk I imagine. that's a difficult talk yeah. yeah
1: wow wow i I can't even imagine that just blows my mind, and I'm sure there's some listeners that are saying the same thing you know that's that's again why we do shows like this so that we can educate people about the challenges that that uh, we're facing here in our city. Um, well, aside from family members that are actually trafficking their their uh, children or their their siblings, um, family members or loved ones of survivors need support too, right uh, What services do you offer for them?
2: So we developed a program called Through the Eyes of a Parent because uh, we had ladies coming to us saying, um, "I told my family what happened because when they come back home that 's the first thing right What happened to you? What happened?" And when they start to tell them what happened, they're not ready to hear that my loved one was kept in a cage and treated like an animal and sold to me. They're not ready to hear that. So she, they would tell them, and they'd just sit there and stare at them so they'd think they don't love me. My trafficker loves me. He hugs me. He kisses me. They just stared at me. They didn't understand that the family was in shock. But there was no support for that mm. we will give them some food and a place to stay and a job but we won't help those families understand psychologically what happened to my loved one and now how do i relate to them and if they're still in what's called the life that's what they call human trafficking how do i work with them while they're still in it because somebody's got to help that family understand we've done through the eyes of a parent locally regionally, nationally, and even internationally. We have people in other countries because we can do it thanks to COVID. Right. We can do everything virtually. And uh, one of the families that took it was actually, the father was actually a psychologist himself. And he said, this has helped me so much. I'm going to now start working in this field. Mm. I'm going to now start helping people with this.
1: Wow, wow. Well, statistics give us a frame of reference, right, for, for understanding that human trafficking exists in our area. But do they give a complete picture of the problem stay tuned because after commercial break we're going to dive into that a little bit further we'll be right back
0: thanks for tuning in this is eig milwaukee's philanthropic community with your host jill Economo on news talk 1130 wisn
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Dr. Lassiter, uh, Executive Director and f- co-founder of the Convergence Resource Center. So I said before the break that statistics give us a frame of reference for understanding that human trafficking exists in our area. But the real question is, do they give a complete picture of the problem? What would you say to that, Dr. Lasseter? Dr. Lassiter.
2: I would say that they do not. And the reason for that is we're 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 very used to counting numbers, okay? How many people did you serve? Five, okay? That doesn't seem like a lot. But when you consider that of those five people, we probably had to spend more than 100 hours in a week with them because they were having nightmares or because they were calling in the middle of the night from flashbacks or because they couldn't go to work so we had to go and get them from work because something at work triggered them or that they're okay today or they may be having dissociative identity disorder which is something that we don't talk a lot about but we really should because about 85 to 90% of the women that we work with have some form of dissociation where They're here right now physically, but in their mind, they're somewhere else. Mm. Um, The first time that we encountered it, um, and now the term dissociative identity disorder, now it's kind of like what you would call multiple personality. That's what people kind of, we have two women that have over 30 personalities. And the reason is because when a child is assaulted or attacked and they can't escape physically, they escape mentally. Many times that creates another personality. She, from the age of three, was sold by her parents to people with torture chambers. Yes, here in Wisconsin and Illinois, people own torture chambers. And they could buy her for the weekend. And so every time she was hurt to the point that she couldn't recover, she created a personality. Well, you would have to work with one personality now and then in a couple seconds another one. Yeah, she's only one person, but the amount of time it takes to really help her is way different. You know, it's going to take much more time. So counting numbers uh, when you're dealing with people that have this complex trauma doesn't really tell the whole story Mm. because the amount of time that's put into that is a lot more than what people count.
1: Wow. (laughs) I mean, that just... Oh, my goodness, that just blows my mind. Um, Human trafficking seems to be a supply and demand business. Mm -hmm. Um, What, if any, actions does your organization, the Convergence Resource Center, uh, what do you provide to address the demand side of that equation?
2: So we firmly believe that it is a supply and demand business. If you didn't need the supply people wouldn't be getting hurt because human beings are the supply. But there has to be someone on the other end of that. Simple e- economics is the demand. In the commercial sex trade, the largest part of the customer base is male. It's, females are part of that customer base, but the largest part is male. But unfortunately, because of the way things are in society, men don't understand that what they're doing is contributing to that industry. So what we do is we call, it's called HEMAD, Human Trafficking Educators with Men and Boys to Stand Against the Demand. And we show them a little video ex- educating them about human trafficking, and then we ask them to take a stand against it. So far, we've reached over 65,000 men in 11 states and three countries that are taking a stand against human trafficking. But what happened the first year we did it, the men started to cry because they had no idea that what they were doing was contributing to that industry. And then the women, as the men t- took the pledge, the women started to cry. Like, why are you guys crying? They said, we've never seen men stand up for us. Mm-hmm. So it's important to every woman, for every man, to take that pledge. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Um, well, there's no doubt that there are difficult challenges when you're working with this, with this population. What... What have you done so far, and and what would you like to do going forward? We heard some of, obviously, some of the things that you're doing, but what are some of the other things that you're doing, and how are you uh, going forward with that?
2: Well, some of our newer services that we've started, one of them is, is called CHEERS because I'm an acronym nut. Right. (laughs) But it teaches them how to do basic things like go to the grocery store, cook a meal, clean your house. Okay, because they are heads of households and don't know how to do these things. We also have uh, tried to work with them. The biggest part is the psychological part. But we also work with them with employment, because many times if we don't train the employer, they're not going to make it at that job. If the employer doesn't understand that this person could have a flashback, this person may do or say something out of character, give them a chance. And we have employers that we work with that will do that. We also have employment programs where they can get certification on site for specific jobs in the community that are jobs where you have to have certification or education to do. So we've been doing all that. We also do a lot of training uh, to other service providers, to law enforcement, crisis intervention teams. We go to the schools. Uh, one of our survivors is healed enough that she can go to the schools and talk to the young girls. Oh, I bet which is, real effective. Oh, yeah. she, we can't. She's busy every week. I imagine, because yeah. she was trafficked while she was in high school. And this is something people don't realize, that a person can be going to school every day and being trafficked. We had a young girl that was her trafficker. Her mother sold her to her trafficker. OK, and so he would beat her to make her perform. And she told him, She said, you don't have to do that. All you need to do, just promise me you'll take me to school every day so I can graduate with my class. For her entire senior year, he brought her to school every day. He picked her up every day. She wore one set of clothes to school and changed into her working clothes when she left school. And nobody at the school ever asked a question. Well, the same thing happened to this young lady who is a survivor at our organization now that talks to the high schools. And she went back and talked to the high school that she actually graduated from, and they were in tears because they saw it, but they didn't know what they were looking at. And that's one of the biggest problems. We see it, but we don't know what we're looking at. So we provide education and training as well for other people who want to work in this field or who are already working in it. We do survivor interaction protocols so people know, how do I deal with the survivor? What do I say? What don't I say? How do I act when I'm around them? So we give all that kind of training. But one of the things that we would really like to do, we found that with the ladies that we were working with, they want to be in their own apartment. They they don't really want to be in a house with a bunch of other people. Now, some people that works really well for, and it's amazing people who do that. That's great. But some of the older women, especially if they have a child, they want their own apartment. So what we're looking at is probably a four or eight unit apartment building that they can be in. Because many times when they need to quickly get out of a situation, we're putting them up in a hotel. And that's costing us like $2,000 for two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. But if we had a building that we could put them in and then while we're looking for a place for them to stay. And sometimes if they had a very traumatic experience and they're having nightmares and screaming, we can put somebody in there with them. But they they need to be isolated. They need to be alone. Many times when we come back from doing rescues at the Super Bowl, those people need to be in a separate in a separate room. So that's kind of one of the things we're looking for. Also, we would like to start our outreach that we do at Super Bowl. We'd like to do that outreach locally. We already do it over the phone, but we want to start going out doing that outreach. And the materials and things to do that with are things that we would be seeking to get support for.
1: Tell us more about that um, that Super Bowl uh, experience that you're talking about. It's not the Super Bowl experience that some people may be familiar with, but... Tell us uh, the work that you're doing there.
2: So what we do is we go down to the Super Bowl, and it's not the Super Bowl, it's the events around it. Uh, l- one year, one, uh, one strip club flew in 150 girls in one day. They would only use these girls during the Super Bowl time because the strip clubs and all that, you know, they're, they're using the people. So we reach out to women who have an uh, ad or something, in the commer- you know, commercial sex ad, and we reach out to them through call centers and then us on the ground go and get them if they want to be rescued also we will uh go out on the streets to give materials to those women and to the massage parlors and things like that unfortunately there's a really disgusting site that allows people to rate those places so we look at those ratings and when they say they have a third place, base place we know that they're doing commercial sex there so we will go there and try to reach out to those women um we we have people on the ground and we shut our call center down and turn it into a call center mm.
1: Yeah, you had mentioned uh, before we got started here, you were telling us a story about uh, this this year when you went down and uh, the horrendous sight of just women lined up, ready to go and jump in a car as the car drove by. Yeah, um, They would just pick out whoever they wanted to um, take with them and they jump in the car and away they go. I mean, it's... Yeah. That is why this type of thing is so important. Because I read an article years ago about how so many times these things are happening right under our nose, and we have no idea that it's that it's happening. Um, so, talking with people like Dr. Lassiter gives us the education that we need and the awareness that we need to stand up and take notice. You know, maybe notice if there's a girl coming into high school that. I don't know, is, is acting differently or that is, is getting into a vehicle of a gentleman who is somebody other than her father. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But just making sure that we are being aware mm-hmm. of what's going on. Um, volunteer opportunities at CRC. Uh, how should someone
2: apply? So they can apply on our website. Uh, on the About Us page, there's an application. Uh, because of the work we do, we only take volunteers twice a year. And then those volunteers work for one to two years. Uh, We have a a lot of uh, uh, off-site events that we do that the volunteers assist with. Some of the volunteers come into the office daily and work with the ladies. Some of them are trained to do support groups. It just depends on their skill set and what they want to do. Some people come in and they want to do administrative work, but they don't feel strong enough to work with the ladies because we really don't like voyeurism when someone just wants to know what happened to you and how many men you were with. So we really guard against that. So in their interviews and training, those kinds of things would come out. But there are a lot of volunteer opportunities. We are looking for volunteers, and the next volunteer uh, orientation will be coming up very soon. So if they go to our website and just fill out the application, they could get in that one.
1: Okay, and you have a newsletter, I understand?
2: Yeah, a newsletter comes out once a month, and this next newsletter is going to be really powerful because it's going to share a lot of the Super Bowl stuff because we weren't able to share it uh, this time. But, uh, yes, please, the newsletter only comes out once a month, and we don't bug you with a lot of stuff.
1: <laughs> so for those people listening that want to learn more about the Convergence Resource Center, um, what's the best way to contact you or get information?
2: So the best way is going to be our website, which is convergenceresource.org. O R G, that's C O N is in Nancy, V is in Victor, E R G is in George, E N C E R E S O U R C E dot org. Um or they can call us on the phone at 414 591 That's 414-979-0591. And we also have an office in Madison because during COVID, we realized that 30% of our clients are in Madison. Okay. So we have a Madison office as well. But the main office is Milwaukee and we can connect you to either one.
1: All right, and you have a Facebook and a Twitter. We do. Okay. All right. Well, there's lots of ways to get a hold of you. I encourage everybody to, to look into it further. And if you uh, you can probably just Google mm-hmm. Convergence Resource Center and then uh, talk to Dr. Debbie Lassiter if if uh, you ne- would like to do that. Um, so. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Debbie Lassiter, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Convergence Resource Center. Thank you for for being here today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Well, I've
1: worked with some nonprofit organizations that say they're in business so that one day they'll be out of business. (laughs) I'm guessing that Dr. Lassiter would love to be out of business because that would mean that the need for her services is no longer needed, right? Well, our next guest would also like nothing more. So stay tuned to hear about another great organization helping people in the area of sex trafficking. We're gonna take a, a quick commercial break and we'll be back shortly.
0: You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations. My next guest today is Krista Hull, founder and executive director of Redeem and Restore Center. Welcome to the show today, Krista. Well, thank you so
3: much. I'm so excited to be back with EIG. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we had you on. Actually, I think Karen interviewed you a couple of years ago. So uh, you're back at it, but this time you're with me. Lucky you, right? (laughs) Um, So why don't you start out by telling us how your story led to you doing this type of work? Well,
3: from the outside, it is a complete 90-degree turn in from what I used to do. I never had dreams of doing a nonprofit or thought of that in any way, but God brought back all the pieces of my story and brought them together. The story of my father abandoning me uh, within a few months of being born, the abuse that he did to my mother, and then the emotional separation again with my mother because of those uh, incidences, left me a very alone and abandoned young girl that was desperate for attention desperate to be seen and loved and And through that um, I became very independent and didn't need anyone but of course we all do and in my journey of healing it just became apparent that I wanted to lead others to come alongside other women other people that were hurting rejected and alone and it led me to some of the most abandoned the most rejected and abused women that there are so that they don't have to be alone and they can be
1: seen and loved and valued Mm. and so you how long have you been working in the human trafficking field then
3: I started reading and restore Center about nine years ago
1: Okay, okay. And I think sometimes people wonder, is this really happening in my own backyard? You know, isn't it mostly in other countries and just in the inner cities? And we talked about this uh, with Dr. Lasseter as well. What would you say about that?
3: Well, if we look at the basic statistics that they tell us that girls, one in four girls will be First, sexually abused before the age of 18. And then boys, one in seven will first be sexually abused before the age 18. And again, as you heard me, accent first. We look at that huge vulnerability. That is an identity issue. When you are intimately connected with someone else in a sexual way, in a wrong timing, wrong, inappropriate ways, it shatters, it begins to shatter your identity and makes you much more vulnerable, besides all the other things that can go on in in our worlds of broken marriages, um, uh, not a happy marriage, or losing someone in your life, all the different vulnerabilities that happen to all of us that can make us ripe for manipulation, coercion, as uh, Dr. Laster spoke about.
1: And uh, you know you you had mentioned to me that you know people will say where where do evil people live and where do vulnerable people live? And your answer to that was everywhere.
3: Yes, I bring that up everywhere to help bring it home that, again, we can all be vulnerable at different parts of our life. When we're under the age of 25, we're most vulnerable, but we can be vulnerable at any point in our life. If we lose a spouse or lose a child or financially burdened, all of a sudden we get more desperate and now we're more open for what other people might want to manipulate and coerce us to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, how are our families and kids at risk of being caught up? in uh, in human trafficking
3: well the wonderful use of technology is a great blessing and a curse it's a great way to connect Uh, uh, we can have zoom we can chat we can connect with old friends but also it's a way to connect with strangers or people who are hiding who they really are or their real motivations and so technology is a huge tool to lie hide behind and manipulate and coerce another way that people can be vulnerable and used is going to school again boyfriends relationships again building these connections with people because that's what we do we want to be in relationship with people and it can be a guy most often if you're a girl or it could be a girl just manipulating that relationship befriending you, grooming you, preparing you, and then all of a sudden you're doing things that you would never have imagined to do. Because most often, those that are trafficked and exploited, it is through a relationship. It could be familial, or it could be a
1: romantic relationship. Now, there might be some people th- thinking or even saying that uh, to themselves or to others, you know, isn't sex work a choice that they make? You know, couldn't they go do other regular jobs? What would you
3: say to that? Well, many of the victims will say they did make that choice because of the manipulation, the coercion. They are led to believe that they're making that choice, or it can even be more of the illusion of choice. Because of circumstances surrounding them, they feel this is what they have to do if they're going to keep their boyfriend or if they're going to be able to pay their bills that they're being coerced to help with they've got to do what they're being asked to do or manipulated and led to do. Or if they're a young child, again, they're readily gonna do what an adult tells them or an older youth is going to tell them because they want to be liked, they want to be seen, they want to be valued, so they're going to follow the rules that you're laying out for them.
1: Mm -hmm. What about this trauma bonding? You had talked to me about that uh, before the interview. Share, Share what that's about. So when you are abused
3: a trauma um in a graphic way especially sexual or m- even just the emotional abuse of manipulating you over and over and if it's especially from familial or a good relationship you begin they call this you begin to have this trauma bond because you feel they do love you they do see you and do care about you though it's really an illusion it's not real and authentic
1: mm. Give us some examples, if you can, um, of some of the women that you have helped. Give us, like, situational examples.
3: Well, recently, uh, one of the women that we got to uh, walk alongside had a horrific uh, story Her parents actually uh, had chains and locks on the refrigerator. They would invite their friends over for these sex parties, and their children were to perform, and once they performed, their reward was they got to eat. And obviously, um, this trauma of this repetitive actions and them going to school, there were obvious signs of trouble with the youth. And so thank goodness someone called and brought in... um, Family services, and they were at some point finally removed from that home. Uh, at one point, she finally did have a, a great mother figure that did care about her and gave affection and helped her, but never did they go back and deal with the damage that was done, the identity that was begun to be broken, these things that she accepted as normal. And so here she is, well over 30. She had been married for 20 years, gave birth to three children, loved her children, tried to make this marriage work because she thought this husband loved her, but he abused her and used her in other sexual parties and actions because, again, she went along with what was normal for her and she wanted her marriage to work and uh, he even had forced her to have sex with someone else and get pregnant and then he used that against her. And so well into her 30s, here is her life. Her marriage is broken up, which is actually a good thing, kind of a miracle. Um, And her kids are obviously quite dysfunctional, have lots of issues because of what happened in that home and what they saw and experienced and here she is an adult struggling to function struggling to have a job struggling to be a mom she loves these kids wants to care for them but they reject her they're angry at her they one hates her and um, so finally uh, after all these years somehow we got connected and she found us and we were able to begin to listen to her story and be present and be her friend yeah. Just start there, being her friend, and finding out what can we do to help her and we have an advocate team, so we provide individual support and outreach but uh we were we were able to find a location for her that would take her uh that she could go stay. And just decompress and let go of all the world's needs and concerns calling at her and just go back to the beginning and begin to unpeel all the layers of damage and trauma to find out what was lies, to find out what was truth, and begin to find out who she really is and what is true and what she believed that is now she knows as lies. Talk with her, meet with her, start Uh, walking alongside her, being her friend, trying to coach her, mentor her, because we can't fix her. We can't fix anyone. You know, really think about yourself. Did anyone else do well at fixing you and your problems? We all have to work through it ourselves, but we need people in our corner. We need people to support us, cheer us on when we do something well and not run away when we screw up and do something bad. And that's really what we do at Redeem and Restore is I train people to become advocates so that we can all do this together and we support them individually uh, via text. We write cards, we have meetings, and then we also have group outings. We want to get together with them and become their friend, their mentor, their coach, and connect them with resources that they need so they can begin to rebuild their life and become all that they were
1: made to be. Mm, Wow. That's 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 a lot there. I mean, again, I just that those stories that you shared, those are going on in our community, folks. Um, it's sad. It's it's a reality, and I think, uh, as I stated before, we just need to open our eyes and look around and just be aware um, and and be on the lookout for something that might just be a little bit unusual and not be afraid to speak up. Right. Um. It is unbelievable that this type of thing exists in our world and in our communities, right? But it's just wonderful that there are great people that are available, like Dr. Lassiter and Krista Hull, uh, to help when someone is in a crisis mode. Um, We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to learn more about a specific uh, redeemed home that Krista is going to share. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN.
1: Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, director of community relations. And I'm talking in our last segment today with Krista Hull, founder and executive director of the Redeem and Restore Center. So we learned all about in the last segment um, about a lot of great things that you're doing uh, at RRC, uh, but you also have something else that's exciting to talk about, and that is a home in Waukesha that you offer to women who are um, it find themselves in this situation. So tell us more about that. Well nine years ago
3: that was the plan that was the whole mission to open a home because from the beginning I saw that there are lots of other great services all around to offer different things but it was very clear to me that in the levels of brokenness and trauma that they had experienced, they didn't just need a one-off service, they needed support as a whole person. So we had planned from the beginning, it just took us a little while to get here, to open a home, a restorative care home, where women who are recovering from prostitution, exploitation, and endless other traumas, that they can come and live and not have to deal with the world's pressures for a time, For 18 to 24 months, they are able to come and stay in this home free of charge so that they may find out all that was lied to them about, all that is true, and find out what they even want and what they like and make those decisions for themselves. So it's really about treating them as a whole person, helping provide everything that is needed physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and
1: spiritually. And you have trained care coaches in your home 24-7, right?
3: Right, so there will be three care coaches that we train,
1: and they'll be
3: trauma care uh, sensitive, uh, certified, and a continuous training uh, that will oversee the 168 hours a week that there are, along with trained volunteers at the same level, but volunteering to cover all of those hours because we don't know when they're going to be triggered what's going to stir up something that they're having a Uh, of extreme anxiety attack or or they become very aggressive or they just want to check out and run away and we need to have trained people available for them whenever that happens if it's when they're trying to go to sleep or they wake up from nightmares or during the day when some other girl really irritates them or just says this one thing that reminds them of some other situation and we want to be there for them We are going to be bringing in other great people that can volunteers that can mentor, sharing their gifts and talents with the women. Basically, it's a home. That's what we call it the redeemed home. We want to provide all the opportunities that we would provide for our own kids, uh, introduce them to all these different. Awesome opportunities that are out in the world that they were created to do what is it that they enjoy doing do they like crafts will they like gardening and mind getting dirt in their nails will they want to do something in manufacturing will they want to run their own business which many have definitely have gifts to do that with the proper time of healing and training but we need lots of people sharing their gifts and their talents so they can experience photography woodworking how to change the oil in their car, how to bake, how to budget their money. All those things we want to teach our own kids is what we want to provide for them while they're healing in tandem because you can't just deal with the mental health because it's interconnected with our bodies, with our emotions, with our relationships. We want to deal with all of that in tandem and we try to do that with the women we work with and walk alongside right now, but we're limited. Where do they live? Who do they live with? Do they have to have a job? Do they have to provide for their family? Do they have kids? And so in this environment, it's a much, uh, in in a way, an expedient accelerated way of healing because they don't have to deal with all these other things they can get to a foundation of healing so we're not fixing them while they're there it is it is up to 24 months to build a foundation to begin again and do the life that they were intended to do
1: mm-hmm. how wonderful can can a woman who has children
3: come to the house? we will be working with another nonprofit because unfortunately and uh, almost shockingly some do have custody of their children and and so we want the children to be safe and cared for and be kids and then help the mom heal and become the mom that she wants to be but not give away her rights not lose her kid but then they can still get together but again be safe heal grow so when they come together they can be more of what the mom and what the Wants and what the child really needs.
1: Yeah, and it's wonderful when uh, nonprofits can work together for yes. the greater good, right, to bring yes. together a great solution. Um, how does RRC differ then, would you say, from other opportunities in the community to help those that are struggling?
3: Well, like I said, we want to focus on the whole person. We don't want to just have this one-off service, which, again, though they're needed. But, again, this is a very obviously intense program, uh, and we'll be bringing people in and and taking them to other places to serve and volunteer as well, Uh, getting used to going to the museum and going to the park, interacting with people, and also bringing in men. They need to learn how to have healthy relationships Mm -hmm. and interact with men who don't want anything from them, learning those experiences. So really because we do that whole focus on the whole person, that is really how the home differs from all these other surfaces, but that that's where our heart is, is that full foundational
1: restoration. Um, so for those listening that want to learn more about the Redeem and Restore Center, how can people really make an impact
3: any way that someone volunteers or donates is making an impact in the women 's lives because right now uh, we are primarily have always primarily been run by volunteers, and without people helping to run the organization you know like a business, the office events outreach all of that. Uh, plus working directly with the women. And, again, that is more intense training, more of a commitment, and so there are fewer people that are willing to do that. But even all these other ways, we all can make an impact together and be a part of seeing women's lives redeemed and restored. And people can join with us by going to our website at uh, Redeem and spelled out a n d restore.org they can sign up at the bottom of the page for the newsletter and dip their toes in and just see what's going on pay attention find out see where we'll be what's our calendar of events how they can get trained or get involved or they can go directly to our take action on our website volunteer donate right there because yes whether you give five dollars fifty dollars it all matters whether you volunteer one time a year or you volunteer every month you get to be a part of helping women
1: find freedom and life again mm, mm. well <sighs> I say this all the time. We never have enough time to talk about all the things we would love to talk about, but we're just trying to plant that mustard seed to get our listening audience thinking, and then they can seek out the individuals that we speak to for further information. Thank you so much, Krista Hull, founder and executive director of Redeem and Restore. Thank you for being here today and sharing your heart and your experiences and all the wonderful ways that you're making a difference. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And again, I'd like to thank Dr. Debbie Lassiter, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Convergence Resource Center, who was with us in the first two segments. So thank you to these wonderful ladies. Uh, I appreciate your candor about a really tough challenge that we face in our community, and I really thank you for the work that you both do. If you have any questions or you would like further information about what we talked about today, you can reach out directly to the Convergence Resource Center or the Redeem and Restore Center. They'd be happy to answer any questions that you have, or if they can't, they can refer you to someone who can. If you know of a great organization doing great work in our community that you think would be a great guest for the show, you can have them or you can call me directly at 262-691-3200 or you can reach out via email at jill at We're filling up our calendar for the year and we take guests on a first come, first serve basis. So tune in next Sunday morning at 10 to Milwaukee's philanthropic community to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community a great place to work and play. You can tune into Talk 1130 on your radio or you can go to newstalk1130.com on your computer or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. I encourage you to visit our website at EllenBecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, or you can now listen on demand, which means Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. So if you can get an internet connection, you can listen to the show. I encourage everyone to give some thought to how you can make a difference in some way for someone in our community. Our guests have shared today many ways that you can make a difference and have a significant impact, whether that's by donating, volunteering, or advocating for their respective organizations. I'm sure anything that you do would be greatly appreciated. So take some time to find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Thanks for listening today. Have a great day.